Well, welcome to the very first Redeemer Anglican Church of Asheville podcast. Uh, this podcast is really geared towards the people that show up every Sunday, but we also want people that don't show up or want to show up or are thinking about showing up to have a sense of who we are. So this podcast will hopefully give you a little bit of sense of, of uh, Redeemer Church and uh, what we're doing in Asheville. And so first I want to introduce you to Pastor Gary Ball. Gary, do you like to be called Friar or Pastor? Or <laughs> what do you want to be called? <laughs> you know, usually um, people, it's it's funny, it depends on what background they're from, but I am ordained as a priest, and so I'm a priest, but I am a rector, and a rector is someone who is the lead pastor of a church. And so um, it, a lot of times people from a more uh, low church evangelical background will say pastor. Um, some people will call me father. A lot of people coming into our tradition um, would would say Father Gary, but I would say for this uh, podcast, Brandon, why don't you just call me Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do that. Okay. Uh, you know, you said low church. I want to explain it. It's really interesting sure. because um, I find so many people that come into churches come in from, sometimes they come in from no background at all. Sometimes they come in from uh, Protestant or Catholic or whatever. And so when you say low church, you're really talking about uh, sort of a non-liturgical one without a lot of, let's say, incense and collars. <laughs> and it doesn't mean it's negative. It just, it's a different form of worship. And so, uh, so Redeemer is what we would call high church. Is that correct? Yeah, and most high church people um, look at our church and laugh and say, "Actually, you're not really high church." So, <laughs> I think the goal of what we what we shoot for is to be distinctly rooted in the traditions, yet oddly familiar to our culture. Um, when I say high church, what I mean is, you know, we have this book of common prayer that sort of directs our worship and 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 roots us in the traditions of the church. And so because we use that and we, we stick with it um, pretty tightly, that, that tends to be a little bit more high church. So if you're low church tradition, first of all, everybody has a liturgy. It's just what that is. You know, everyone has rhythms or an order of worship at its kind of basic level. Yeah, we, I think the high church tradition says we are stewards of the traditions that have been passed down to us. And I think that when we compromise, it's not a bad thing, but what it does is it makes us more susceptible to starting our worship from the culture backwards. And so in doing so, it's easier for us to kind of compromise who we are as the people of God, and we find ourselves becoming maybe more like the world than the world like the church. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that one of the things that you'll often hear, or if if people have been steeped in it all in the last ten to fifteen years, you've started to hear this term "future past," which basically mm-hmm. means going back to the sort of the beginning of the church. And I find that the you know the Anglican uh, presentation of the liturgy, although not going back you know two thousand years, and it's really only five hundred years old, but it but it finds its roots deeply embedded in the liturgy of the ancient church. So, and that's not to be intimidating to people. I think that people can come in and a lot of people that come into a, a high liturgical church are a little like, oh my gosh, there's are up and down and this and that and yeah. saying, saying memorized prayers. Those prayers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those cr- prayers are meant to put us into a sense, a spiritual place that allows us to have real worship. Would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, we believe that um, the way that we worship actually forms us. And so we have to think carefully about the way that we worship because we are not just giving something in worship, but we're also receiving something from God. And so we find ourselves ordered kind of in the ways of the world when we come into church on Sundays. And so what we're doing in our worship is being reordered. And so it's not to say that because we pray wrote prayers, it's not to say that spontaneous prayers aren't important and needed. And we actually have time for that in our service. But it, what it says is we are we are being taught how to pray. And also we're creating rhythms for the way for the rest of the week and so for instance prayers of the people I really appreciate it and some people are like man we pray these routinely every week and sometimes people would think man it just it loses its meaning but what it does is it shapes a, it gives us a template and shapes us a, a, a rhythm for our prayers and it gives us a language of how to talk to God. Uh, I'll confess, I, I didn't regularly pray for the president or um, for those who are persecuted and stuff. And every week we are reminded and it's instilled in us and more and more we find ourselves um, it shaping us uh, more than us shaping the, the the way we worship, it actually shapes us, the way that we live. Yeah, and so the the last part of this when we discussion on worship, which is mm-hmm. which is really important, I think, of people mm-hmm. trying to find a church, if they walked in the door um, of of Redeemer and they smelled incense and they, you know, as you said, they wrote prayers, what could you say to somebody who may feel intimidated or would say, oh, this is not the experience, this is not my tradition. Um, how do they engage and discover this and figure out this worship? Yeah, I, I think it's really beautiful. And, I, and most of the time, our, the way we approach worship and even our salvation can be so over-rationalized that we lose sight of the mystery and the beauty. And so what we do is a, try to appeal to all the senses. And this is, I think, the, the point of what the ancient church was doing is they believe that we're kind of saved through our bodies. And so when we kneel for confession, it's not just um, it's not just us saying, oh, we're we want to make sure that we're kneeling because that's what's expected out of us. But what it does is it it reveals the posture of our heart, but it also shapes a posture. And so when I was coming into the Anglican Church, the posture aspect really spoke to me because when I knelt, um, I just it, it it was just really humbling to kneel before the Lord, and it it not only reflected my heart, but it started to shape it. I would say, Brandon, I'm going to go down a limb here, and we live in a unique culture because Asheville is largely, I wouldn't even say de-Christian. I would say we live in a culture where a lot of people are have never been exposed to it. And so when people come into our church, most people from church backgrounds may be more freaked out by incense than people who in Asheville have never been exposed to worship. I would think that incense would be less weird to the average Ashevillian than to someone who's been exposed <laughs> by church, right? I mean, it's part and of that, their lives already. And that's very true. It, it really does depend on where you come from. I moved to Asheville from San Francisco where – most of the city is unchurched, really, and they wouldn't freak out about that, um, as opposed to people that had been in churches, they might. 
Yeah, and I, I like the idea that when you walk into a church and you smell it, so there's this aspect of the smoke going up, which sort of emulates the prayers, the, the continuous prayers of the saints and us joining our prayers as they ascend. But also, like for instance, someone walked in a church a couple of years ago who from our church and they smelled the incense and they, they breathed in deeply and they said, ah, oh, it smells like church in here. And so when you walk into the sanctuary, it marks out space and it says, ah, oh, like you find rest. Like what, what does sanctuary actually mean, you know? And so there's a sense of leaving something behind and stepping into something. Yeah, I love that. There's a there's an ancient tradition. There's a Latin word, espacio, which means sacred space. It means space, mm. literally, but it, it refers to this idea of sacred space. And I think that one of the reasons for the liturgy is to create this demarcation between, it's not to say that our lives are not filled with, with God wherever we are, whenever we are, as Paul says, to, to, to pray without ceasing. So in a sense, our lives are an embodiment of that, but that there is a clear demarcation when we come into worship that we are in this sacred space. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that when we leave, we can't have sacred space, but that demarcation. So I always take that incense as like, oh, okay, now it's time to really put my mind to the place where it needs to be for this time together. Yeah. And when you find yourself doing that on Sundays, um, what what it does is it, it conditions us to start looking for it the rest of the week. And so it's not like you leave it behind, right? It's it's just a sense of um, uh, giving us an order and, and conditioning our eyes to be able to see and to think and an awareness of where God might be revealing himself throughout the rest of the week. Yeah. And so I would say for anyone that's listening right now and sort of wondering what, what it is they're looking for when they come in, is that I'd say come in with an open heart and mind. One of the things that I've loved about this community um, is that I have never, and, and I do come from a church background, so maybe it's a little bit different for me, but I've never felt intimidated. I've never felt like anybody said, oh, you're not, and I've been in churches before where, where it was like this, you don't get the rules, so therefore you don't quite fit in. <laughs> I, I don't feel like, personally, I've never felt that, and I've talked to enough people that agree that it's, if you have questions, ask them. Feel free to say, hey, I, I, what's the deal with this? Um, and I think that's a very, it's, it's part of the ethos of, Redeemer. So I think it's a wonderful part of the church itself. Yeah. And I think that's become part of our culture because there are so many people that come in from somewhere else or most of the people in our church have moved here. Um, and so there's a, there's a continuous sort of teach, we call it a liturgical cat catechesis where you're teaching people, you know, um, as you go. And so it's just become part of who we are to be able to constantly rehash kind of why we do what we do. But I think, too, a lot of churches, for instance, maybe in the seeker movement, have sought to make things more accessible. And while we want to be accessible, the point of the way that we worship is actually to get you to ask questions. Why do we do what we do? And so that's actually a good thing um, that people ask that question and we don't want them to feel that. So then the point is we want them to feel like they can ask questions, not that they actually have the questions. Well, and that's a good segue into the next part of, uh, the church or sort of, as we go through, what are the different elements and spiritual formation is a very important part of Redeemer church. And for many people that were not raised in that, uh, that type of, of church, they, 
they hear that word and they're like, what does that mean? Are you Buddhists? Are you said, well, mm-hmm. maybe sort of in a way of this <laughs> idea of from the very beginning, the very root posture of the church has always been about discipline. And I think a lot of people hear that word discipline and they're like, oh yeah, I don't know if I want to discipline myself that blah, blah, blah. I think that Redeemer, and please expand on this a little bit, is trying to get people to understand that the discipline of spiritual formation is to draw you closer to God. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, we have, I talk to people almost every day who are dealing with a legalistic or moralistic paths. And and that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to create a list of rules. As a matter of fact, we, we talk very clearly about um, when you're making, for instance, a rule of life, where it, rule is, is pattern. It's not a rule, right? It's how can we instill patterns in our lives? And sometimes that's a discipline where you're doing something you don't necessarily uh, want desire to do because because you know you should do it but most of the time what we do is how can we learn to love these rhythms and patterns of our lives and the book of common prayer has uh, morning noonday evening and compline prayers and it just creates a really nice rhythm for our lives where we're always being made aware of the nearness of god and that's what we want to do because when you when you're aware of that the we live a distinct way but that at that point it doesn't become a moralistic obligation it becomes a desire to want to walk with the lord yeah and i think that i you know i i came from a a catholic tradition and that's deeply embedded in the mysticism of the catholic church but it's not necessarily practiced in the greater body and one thing that i've really appreciated about redeemer is that there is this understanding. I don't want to say expectation because I don't think that's part of the ethos either. It's just an understanding that this is who we are. This is what we believe draws us into this relationship um, and that God is about relationship uh, and that we're helped by that, by following that spiritual formation. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the, the different elements of spiritual formation that are going on? I, certainly there's the, the liturgy and the Sunday worship, but what other things are going on to help create spiritual formation within the church? Yeah, I, I think that there are. Um, we try to embrace um, a, a real holistic understanding of what it means to be formed. Um, and so prayer is is the 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 approach that we take, how can we join ourselves with others in prayer, um, not just alone, but in groups. And so we offer several prayer gatherings. We have a spiritual direction um, program, which we uh, are have actually trained some spiritual directors who are now, um, it's not a discipleship, but what it is, is a, a kind of a mediator or a coach. How do you help people to pray and and be attentive to the voice and presence of God. And so praying is is a big emphasis for us. Um, we do a four-semester thing called St. Aidan's, and that's more of the education, because I think it's just important for us to know who we are, how do we become who we are, and, and so those are Bible studies and a little bit of history and, and spirituality and mission. And the point of that is we, we, we consider that when you come to, into, that when you approach someone or encounter someone on the streets in Asheville, we just want people to be equipped to be able to talk about who we are and why we are this way as the people of God. And so we want, it's really an equipping time. 
And then we are just starting table groups, and these. Wait, are, before you start, yeah. before you go to that gear, I want to talk, yeah. just step back a little bit. When you say you use words like equipping, I can just hear someone going, "What does that mean?" You know, one of the uh, when when someone comes in from a church tradition where there hasn't been this mentorship or someone sort of guiding us, going through a catechism class or whatever, uh, a lot of times within the evangelical community, it's just that's just what you do. You show up and you're sort of you're immersed in this, but there's no mentorship. I think in a lot of ways that when you look at this spiritual formation, it's also about mentorship. It's just someone helping you or something. Uh, you could look at the Book of Common Worship, something walking you through so you you don't have to make this up on your own there is two thousand years of tradition uh, that that is involved in this so so you don't have to recreate the wheel as i uh, the way i like to put it um would you would is that close to what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual formation yeah it it totally is i, I mean we like i said earlier we're stewards of this tradition and you know i think that at the reformation we just tended to throw the baby out with the bathwater and a lot of and throughout our history we've been able to to reclaim some of those things that were so formative and beautiful in the in the history of the church and and so yeah that was one aspect of it i think the direction aspect of it where where you are mentored and even like things like um reconciliation of the penitent which is typically what we call confession I think that there's a, it's a really beautiful, formative thing. You know, confession is a part of our spiritual formation here at the church, and it's totally optional. Um, it's not something that we require, but I can also say that it's a confusing thing for people, but it is, I have seen more healing in that aspect of our formation program than any other aspect because people come into our into confession and don't realize sometimes that they've been carrying things for years that they that they didn't even realize were there and they walk out different people and feel so much lighter and so there's a lot of really helpful things that we kind of had an aversion to that we try to recapture in the best sense um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that one of the the if you look at the modern culture, the idea of going to see somebody to talk about your issues, your problems, is not frowned upon. People don't look at. For the most part, I think people don't. Look, I think the reason people might have an aversion to confession is perhaps they think of it as like, oh, I've got to go to in, in, to um, somebody to intercede for me uh, with God, and that's not. That's not what's going on. It's not that I go to you, uh, Gary, and say, "Oh, can you can you talk to God for me because I can't do it myself." That's mm -hmm. not it at all. It's about truly confessing what's on our hearts to another person. Is that close to what we're talking about? It is. It is, and I think there is a a, a mandate for apostolic leadership to forgive sins. Not that it's us forgiving the sins, but declaring on behalf of the Lord, their sins forgiven. And so I would say like there is that, but I'll tell you what, the most beautiful thing is sometimes just hearing out loud mm -hmm. from someone else that your sins are forgiven. It is a powerful thing that many people rarely hear. And hearing, saying our sins out loud, we all know that's healing, right? Being able to just express it. But then to hear that they're gone, 
is also a really healing aspect of, of confession. Yeah, and that's a, an important part of, of recovery. If anyone has ever been in recovery, Absolutely. they know that the confession is is a really vitally important part. And I think that it extends out into what we would call whatever, quote-unquote, normative life uh, as well. So I think that is – so you, I had interrupted you. We were talking about uh, the beginning of table groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as we – First of all, we just think that fellowship is a is a really important part, as well as praying for people. And a lot of times we get together, it's for prayer, it's for learning, it's for worship. And we just found that as we grow, we needed to create space simply for hospitality. And so um, it's easier and easier as the bigger we got as a church that to for people to kind of, I guess you could say, slip through the cracks or for us to not see new people. Or because there are so many new people, a lot of new people say, um, why is no one greeting me? Not realizing that everyone around them is new too and maybe asking the same thing. Yeah, and in a traditional church, a lot of times if you're in a town where you you know, you know have six generations of family members that are there, a lot of times people, it, it's the church, you don't need to have that. But when you are in a community like Asheville where you have so many transient people that have come mm-hmm. in from somewhere else, um, connecting into community is a challenge. And so... That's Absolutely. one of the major reasons for these, t- and it's also the idea of of just us being together, um, sort of the, the communion of saints, if you will, mm-hmm. of coming together, breaking bread together, talking about our lives together. Um, I found in my life that table groups have been far and away the most important part of engaging me both communally and spiritually within a church. Yeah, it's important. And and the reason we call it table groups is because we gather around a table on Sunday, and this is just an extension of that table, the table of, of the Eucharist, an extension of that into our homes that we gather around and break bread, as you said, together as a community throughout the week. And that goes to the very, you know, I... I... I won't bore anybody with this as, my, my, as a history teacher, but the, the agape meal, the idea of sitting down and, and, and breaking bread together, the Eucharist, if you will, mm-hmm. it's turned into this big, giant, and it is, it is it is a sacrament. It's super important. It's the most important thing in the worship, but it is also a normative thing. It was in the early church that people would get together. It didn't have to be on a Sunday. It was usually never on a Sunday because they broke bread on, Sh- uh, on Shabbos on Saturday, so... The idea of having this love meal, gapi means love, was tradition. It was what you did when you got together with other believers. So I think that's also part of this story. Yeah. The idea is, is this sacrament, um, by saying that the Eucharist is a sacrament, we are saying that it is not simply us getting together, remembering something, but we believe that something is happening in the meal. And so if that's true, then the Eucharist should shape us into a particular kind of people that live this out throughout the week. And so it's simply us living, um, becoming what we are in Christ. (laughs) Yeah. So that kind of, we've talked a little bit about the idea of culture a, a lot, um, and how would you how would you describe the culture of Redeemer? I would hope it's it's hospitality. Uh, my, you know, when we moved here, we we didn't have anyone. It was just us. And then uh, several months later, we did have some friends move to help us out. And as we did, uh, our whole, you know, we started in our living room, and so the whole uh, every gathering was essentially around a table. 
And so my wife is tireless. I mean, she is just an amazing, she loves to have people over and, and sometimes she just overdoes it, but she just can't stop. I guess it's like, <laughs> she just is just part of her being. And I really think that that has created shaped the DNA of our church. And so I pray that as we grow, that that will never be lost. I hope that hospitality is a big part of who we are. I mean, it is as the people of God, but specifically as people come to Redeemer, I hope they say this is a hospitable church. Yeah, and it's funny because I, from the moment I got there, I felt that hospitality. But I, if 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 a person who's listening to this that is not in Redeemer at Redeemer now, but is interested and wants to come. I hope that if you walk in and don't feel that, that you remember that many of those people might also be new. Um, so, so I would challenge anyone that comes in to just ask somebody, ask you, ask one of the other uh, members of the clergy that are in there, or ask any of the lay people that are, hey, you know, what what's going on? How do I meet people? What what's the story with these these table groups? Um, I think that people will find it a very open community to getting uh, connected and for people to help them get connected. Yeah, and it's funny. We always joke because we say that we're a, a church full of introverts, which is is sort of true. But as we grow, obviously that that doesn't hold true as much. But um, I think that when we when we go to a church nowadays, the goal is to assimilate. Right? We give them a card. We get them to sign up, and and then we say, "Where do you want to serve?" And there's all these like things where we just try to hook them. And when you come to Redeemer. I mean, it's like, if you'd like to get our newsletter, sign up on the sheet. And sometimes it's uh, months or weeks before that happens. And it's not that we don't want to follow up with you, but the goal is that we we want you to be seen not as, as a means to an end or a product, but as a person. And that we we want you to feel welcome as a worshiping part of this community, not as someone that we're trying to hook. Um, but inevitably, you're going to be invited over to, to three or four people's homes, hopefully, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I know you're the you're the pastor and people say, well, he has to say that. Well, I, I'm telling you as a non-pastor that that is a very true statement. Um, and in our last few minutes together, Gary, I just, I wanted to sort of highlight um, some of the main, if, and again, anybody can go on our website and look and they can read this stuff, but I think that it's important when you hear it. Um, and there are three parts uh, on the website that talk about we are sacramental, we are liturgical, and we follow the church calendar. Can you just briefly talk about each of those and what that means? I think we've touched on it, but sort of give it, if somebody just needed the Wikipedia response, what would that be about who we are specific to Redeemer? Yeah, so liturgical is is really about the that the church has a language, that the church has customs, and, and we adhere to those. Um, and we, we feel the need to say that because it's, it actually, we're kind of strange nowadays in that sense, even though it's actually uh, probably even globally the, the norm in most cases. And so we, we adhere to the rhythms, the language, the customs of the, the traditional church. Sacramental means, a lot of people would say, 
that that means oh we do the eucharist or holy communion as some people call it or the lord's supper we do that every week and that is a part of it but it is also a statement about what we believe the sacraments are and that is not just that we were we are remembering something in the sacrament but that jesus makes himself really present in the sacrament and that we receive grace in that and so the sacrament is is a place where there's a, an encounter of our earthly selves with a heavenly being and are shaped into that likeness. Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it. I think that, that describes it well. And the last, the third portion, sort of the last part of our discussion is this idea of the church calendar, that we follow a church calendar. Um, it is, it is. I think a lot of people are like, what does that mean, church calendar? Easter, Christmas? Um, so what yeah. do we mean when we say we follow the church calendar? I love the church calendar, and I think it's really refreshing for a lot of people that come into our tradition. Um, the point is that there are, are traditions and there are seasons of the church that help us walk the path of Jesus. And so uh, I think some of the earlier um, things, obviously, we know Christmas, Pentecost was a very early tradition, which we're coming up on here in a, in a couple of weeks and Easter. Um, but what the point of that, so I think of Easter, I mean, Christmas in particular, way back in the ancient history of the church, they were seeing, the church was seeing that the, the church, the people were being formed in the likeness of the world. And so they overlaid some of these narratives that come from scripture in order to say, no, we we tell time differently. We live life differently. And so, for instance, Advent. I think Advent is always it's just so refreshing to people because while the world is preparing for... So Advent isn't just a preparation for Christmas. What it is is it's a, pre a preparation not for the nativity, but it's a preparation for the return of Christ. And it's often a very uh, um, quiet, contemplative time in the church and while so while the world is is running around crazy and they're stressed and their bank accounts are empty and everything like that the church is actually at a moment of rest where we're we're listening for the lord we're confessing our sins we're 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 wondering we're looking at ourselves and evaluating why are we anxious and the the beauty of that is that the world looks at the church and says why you know, Leslie Newbegin says, we should live our lives in such a way, he was a missiologist, mm -hmm. we should live our lives in such a way that the world looks at us and asks the question, why, to which the only answer is the gospel. And so the problem nowadays in many cases is that the church looks just like the world. We're consumeristic, we're feeling the pressure of... Um, uh, putting gifts under the tree. And so it's a really beautiful way adhering to the church calendar, which we can live distinct from the world, not to say that we're different, but to live differently so that the world looks at us and says, wow, that's a really refreshing way to live. And so Christmas is then the 12 days after Christmas. And we party those 12 days, having not spent the the five months before buying gifts and being stressed and then at epiphany we burn our christmas trees and sing hymns and celebrate the light of the world has come so it's a really beautiful way of lifting yeah that's a really good way to sum that up i uh, following that church calendar um 
And again, like many things, it can it can probably seem intimidating, but at its core, it's meant to draw the community uh, together, the the, the the fellowship of believers together. Um, and I would say that if someone is coming into Redeemer, uh, it, it can be intimidating to come into any church, but try your best to, if you have questions, go talk to somebody, talk to any, just tap somebody on the shoulder and ask them a question. Um, and obviously you, Gary, and the other uh, leaders of the church uh, are there to answer questions. So I, I would encourage people to do that. If you have questions, call the church, email the church, do whatever you need to do. Um, but don't be intimidated by the things that are going on. Uh, try to do your best to embrace it. Yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> Everyone comes in with many, many questions and, and it's our great joy and pleasure to be able to answer those. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with me today, Gary, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Great, thanks for hosting, Brandon.